Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Well, hey, everybody, we are starting a new series today. That was a lot of fun, Landmines and Quicksand. Truth is, the title's actually kind of like four words, a little bit longer here, Landmines, Quicksand, Roadblocks, and Poison. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Four weeks. Come on, we're going to talk about how to not blow up our lives, not sink your future, not let things stand in the way, and not kill you from the inside. Who's excited? Yeah. Wait till after I preach this one. You'll see if you're still excited. Yeah, it's going to be fun. But here's really the deal. The subtitle is what it's all about, making sure the best is yet to come. That's what we want for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I believe God wants for you, that the best of your life is still in front of you. I'm personally a huge roller coaster fan. Like, I just love roller coasters. When I was a kid, I just always wanted to go places and ride different roller coasters, and I was excited when our Boy Scout troop would do that, and I'd talk our Scoutmaster into, dude, if we got to go to Williamsburg and, like, walk around all those boring historic things, you know, Bush Gardens is there. And, and so we did Bush Gardens and rode roller coasters. It was fun. And when I was a band director, I would always plan our band trips and have my bands perform at, at theme parks just so I could ride cool roller coasters. I didn't tell the parents that, but it's okay. They can't get me now. It's all good. So here's the thing. Carowinds just got a new roller coaster. If you don't know this, I got season tickets. I try to take my kids there and and do stuff. And so this new roller coaster, everybody wants to ride. And and so it's got like an hour and a half wait for this thing. And and so uh, one of the other uh, guys here at the church, uh, Luke and his kids and and our family, we all went together, took our two families, and and we decided we were going to go because we found a day when there were no hour and a half long lines. Little bit because there was a monsoon rainstorm happening and nobody else wanted to be there. But it was so cool because you didn't even have to get off the ride. You could just stay on it because it was like a human pressure washer while you were riding it kind of thing. So, but, but here's the cool part. You know, when you're riding a roller coaster and, and you start going up that first big hill, you're all excited because, I mean, if I'm going up, that's going to be a wild ride down. Like, whoosh, you know, you're just having all this fun. Then it starts to go up again and, and you know it's going to be great again because nobody would put the best thing first. I mean, who wants a ride that's just getting gradually worse the whole time, right? Anybody? So you're like, oh man, that was awesome. This is going to be even better. And if you go on a loop, you know the next loop's going to be even better and you just get excited excited, and then it just stops and you see the house and you realize like the best part of the ride is behind you unless of course you are there in a rainstorm and you get to stay on and just keep doing it over and over and over again the reason for this series is this whole idea of the best is it in front of us or is it behind us like the roller coaster just came to a stop and what sparked this series is a, a pastor uh, that was uh, just just like uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. Started a church, and in less than 10 years, his church had grown to tens of thousands of people. He was writing books, speaking all over the world, and, and just like he was a pastor rock star. Like those things exist. 
we're nerds. We got our own thing. I mean, you've got your thing. You know, you're like into, you got crochet rock stars you follow on Pinterest or whatever. You know, you got, you got your nerd thing. And, and this is ours. So every pastor wanted to be like this guy. Like, man, I want to be like him. And his favorite mantra was the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I think he said it when he started. He said it when he finished. And, and every day was just always saying the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And one day I get up and I read my morning news as I always do in a headline. You've just been fired. And it hit me right then. I heard the words. The best is yet to come until. The best is yet to come until. What's the until? Let me, let me ask you a question. As I talk to you this morning, I talk about the best in your life. And I say the best for your life. What comes to mind? A memory or a dream for tomorrow? And I'm not going to make you raise your hands and, and, and call out an answer, but I'm going to make everybody answer. Right now, to yourself, I want everybody to answer. When you hear me talk about the best for your life, the best, I want you to think of the best. What comes to mind? A memory or a dream? The whole point of this series is hopefully in four weeks, you're going to be thinking of dreams and not memories because you're going to believe that the best is yet to come. And here's the reason that I can do this in church, because I believe it's God's will for you, not a motivational speech. So let me show you this. Proverbs 4.18 says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the full light of day, right? Come on, if you guys came out this morning to any of our week of prayer and fasting that we just finished up doing, and, and, and we were coming in here early in the morning, you know, showing up, you've got to get here when it's dark. And it is so dark, there are still like moon and stars when you're leaving your house, you're not sure. You, you got to look at your clock and make sure you're not accidentally going to church at like midnight, you know? Like, is this nighttime or morning? I don't even know. But, but people, there were a few people would get here just a little bit early. They're weird. I mean, it was already like a 6.30 prayer meeting, people getting here before it starts. And, and so as the first cars would drive up, we'd just see headlights in the darkness. Like, there's a car. And it'd get a little bit closer to 6.30, about 6.20. You could actually go, hey, look, there's, there's a blue car coming. You get about 6.25, and you could see somebody getting out of the car. And once they get up to the steps, we could say, hey, Bob, how you doing? But by about 6.29, as people, we could get out of the car. We could say, hey, Sally, how are you? We're out there in the parking lot because it just gets brighter by the minute. And then we came in here for a whole hour with the lights like this. And then you'd open those doors and go out and be like, oh, man, where are my sunglasses? Right? That's what the day is like. It just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And God's wanting that for your life. Brighter and brighter and brighter. And look, let me just go ahead and, and, and I see the wheels turning. Because some of you are going through something really, really hard right now. And you're saying, well, man, I, I must be off track. I must not be in God's will because I'm going through a tough season. I'm going through something that, that it seems like I'm going backwards. And like even when the sun is getting brighter every day, there are still clouds. Clouds come with storms. This series is not about the storms that come and go because we're all going to go through seasons that have challenges and difficulties. And, and many of those have they really belong to people in your life. They've, made, they've, they've done some stuff. They've made some messes. They've made some decisions. This is not about the tough seasons you go through. What this is about are the choices that you and I have, the decisions that you and I can make that will determine if the best is behind us 
or if the best is yet to come. You guys ready for this? All right, if you've got your Bibles with me, our main passage today is Luke chapter 12, right at the beginning. You can turn with me, but if not, don't worry. It's going to be on the screens right here beside me as we go. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus is talking, and and he just finished kind of a little uh, debate, friendly pushback, kind of whatever you want to call it, with the religious leaders of the day. They're called Pharisees and scribes and lawyers. And, and they actually were doing some things that were so frustrating. He started saying, woe to you for this and woe to you for that. And woe to you. The best is not yet to come. You better watch out for your future. And so as he finished this back and forth about who they were and what all they were doing wrong, he, he turns and starts to go away. And this is where we are. Check out this. It says, so in the meantime... When so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. And I just imagine Black Friday at Walmart and Jesus, like everybody's trying to get to him. Come on, that was funny, y'all. The other two services laughed. What's with y'all? Anyway, I mean, I do appreciate y'all for being a really good, polite church. Not trampling each other, coming in the door there, especially in the parking lot. Very good. Anyway, trampling one another. He turns to his disciples first to begin to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, and if you could just imagine them at that moment, wonder what he's going to say. Is this disease that's growing within these Pharisees, these religious, is is it because they're religious? Is it because they're proud? Is it it because, what what is it that he's going to say? And he says, beware of this, this thing that just grows within them and gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse, which is hypocrisy because nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known therefore whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops how many of you read this once in your life and went oh no <laughs> come on i'm not alone i know i'm not alone y'all so we're talking about landmines today, part one, as we kick this off. What are landmines? Look, as we go through this series and talk about landmines, quicksand, roadblocks, and poison, it's not going to be hard to figure out what they are because we gave the label to exactly what it is. Landmines are things that are hidden and eventually blow up your life. Hidden things that blow up your life. And, and, and so when we talk about that, we're, what we're talking about are secrets. And I'm not talking about the kind of secret where... You go, hey, don't tell your mama what I'm getting her for Christmas. It's going to be exciting. No, no, no. I'm talking about the kind of secrets you hope nobody ever figures out. You see, there's a special type of hypocrisy, and that is when people do something in the dark that doesn't line up with who they say they are in the light. Appreciate two of you that did that little, mm, come on, I'm talking to more of you. There's a kind of hypocrisy for when what we do in the dark doesn't line up with who we say we are in the light. Now, here's the thing. We really need to talk to ourselves here as believers and followers of Jesus because the majority of non-Jesus followers, what they do in the dark lines up exactly with who they say they are. They, they already will tell you, well, I have no problem with what I'm doing because I am just good with who I said. So look, what we're really talking to, and it's interesting because Jesus turned to his disciples Jesus turned to Jesus' followers and said, hey, watch out for letting this darkness be one and light be another and you trying to dance in both of them, right? What we're talking about, everybody, is secret sin, secret things that are hidden in our lives. 
turn to your neighbor and say, boy, you picked a good day to come to church. We're talking about secret sin. Come on. You, you got to do it because when I did this in the first service, you'd have thought, I, I just like, the, like the, you, the place just went silent. It was like the air just got sucked out of the room. So I've been making people turn to their neighbor ever since. He's trying to lighten the mood a little bit as we talk about secret sin. Look, here's the truth. We all sin. I'm not talking about that. I mean, we all sin. We all do these things. We're like, ooh, look at Joe's new truck. I want one. Ooh, I just coveted. God forgive me. You know, we all do that. We all get a little angry. I'll admit to you, your pastor's a sinner. I've got an anger problem, but it is not my problem, and it is not my fault. It is all the people who drive in Columbia, South Carolina, because they don't know how to drive. And it does something in here. It's like a moving IQ test watching those people. Seriously, I had this thought this morning when I was going over my notes, and I thought, I'm going I'm to make fun of the drivers. And then it hit me. I've never had this thought before, right? We, we educate people here in South Carolina. Twelve years of English. Twelve years of English. And we still say y'all and ain't. Even though ain't ain't a word, you can't spell y'all. Y'all know that. I still watch people do Y-A-W. Like, seriously, are you kidding me? Twelve years of English, and that's how we turn out. And we only give them one semester of driver ed. Do the math. Right? So look, I'm not talking about when you look at somebody's new shoes and wish you had a pair. I'm not talking about when you get mad at the person beside you in the traffic. What I'm talking about are things that are in our lives and stay in our lives. And we're not really getting rid of them. And the things that we know don't line up with what God wants for our life and don't line up with who we tell people we are and we hope people don't ever find out. It's those hidden things. Now, there, there's different kinds of the way we feel about it. Well, I guess there's different ways we feel about it is really the word I need to use there because, you see, some of us say, well, I know what I'm doing and I don't care. And, well, that happens. I fear for that person, but that happens. And then there are times where we say, well, I know what I'm doing, and I, honestly, I hate myself for it, but I, I, I just don't know what to do because, well, it's just been there so long. And if I were to tell someone, well, then I don't know how that'll go. Landmines are things that we keep hidden because we don't know how to get them out of our lives. Until one day, one day, you were sick from work, and they needed that document off of your computer, and someone found something. One day, you told your mama you were going over to one friend's house, but your mother's friend saw you out with so-and-so. That one day where someone saw you at lunch with somebody, and it wasn't your spouse or a coworker. You see... We keep things hidden until they just blow up on us. But the problem is, landmines will ultimately destroy our families. They will cost us our jobs. They will take us out of profitable ministry. But everybody want some good news? Doesn't have to be this way. Thank you. The other two services sat there like they were still going to hell or something. I don't know what it was. It was Aren't y'all forgiven and going to heaven? I mean, where's the amen on this one? It doesn't have to be that way. Let me, it is so much easier to do a landmine removal than it is to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Y'all get that? It is so much easier to do something about it before it blows up. 
This is why the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, check this out. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healed. What do you mean you need to be healed? You just said confess my sins so I'll get rid of the flu. No, it's not really talking about that kind of healing. It's talking about this kind of healing called freedom. Getting free of this thing that we keep doing that we don't want to do, that we hate ourselves for. We can... Now here's what's funny. The Bible also tells us confess your sins to God and be forgiven. And most of us know that verse. Isn't it funny says, God says, you can come and talk to me and I'll wash you clean. Right now, every single one of you can ignore me for the next 10 seconds. Close your eyes, talk to God, and you can tell them what you've been doing and say, God, forgive me, and you'll be forgiven. And then you're going to walk out this door, and most likely, my experience as a pastor, I'm sorry to give you bad news, but my experience, most of you would walk out this door forgiven and do it again and go right back to the secret sin. You know why? Because you never got healed. You never got free. See, this is why we do life groups here. This is why we do more than Sunday mornings. A lot of you, Sunday mornings is, is maybe all you do right now. Maybe you're new. And I want to tell you, this is, there's more than coming in here and listening to me. There is getting together in life where you know each other close enough and share that you can sit down and say, look, I, I need to talk to you. I, I need your help. I had someone come and do that this week. It's a friend of mine that we just sit. We have tea all the time. We talk and, and we've just shared life for years. And I've known him for a long time, and, and he came in, and he just sat down. As we're just talking, he said, look, I, I've got to tell you something. I've struggled with pornography my entire life. And you just saw his head go down. You can imagine it, because that's how we all tell those sentences. We just kind of hang our head. We, we feel worse about ourselves, because we think they feel worse about us. And so I talked to him for a minute about some steps we're going to take to help him get the freedom that he wants in his life. He just already began to feel better because he already brought light into it. He was already began to see some freedom come into his life. And I said, hey, look, I, I, need to, I need to tell you something. You think I think less of you right now for what you've struggled with. But I want you to know I've never thought more of you than I do right now because you were willing to take the risk and remove this thing before it blew up on you. It's amazing. And he's off to, this is why we need to get together outside of Sunday mornings and have somebody that you can talk to so that we can remove landmines and be healed. It says confess. And when we confess and then we repent means, okay, you say it to somebody, repent. Then we change what we're doing in here. We change how we're going about things and then we get free. Come on, how many of you want that, right? Look, here's the deal. If we don't do that, a landmine blows up, it brings pain and consequences. When you get caught and it blows up on you, it's just going to, it's pain and consequences. At the same time, when a landmine is removed, it brings freedom and restoration. I mean, isn't that wonderful? When we can take something before it blows up and bring it into the light and deal with it. So I just want to stop right now. And, and I want to beg of you. If you are in a place where there is a landmine, where you wake up every day and you just feel the guilt, you feel the shame, and you have the fear, is this the day? Is this the day that somebody's going to find out? Is this the day that it's all going to come crashing down? You know, no, don't live like that. Do not live where your best case scenario is today will be another day with guilt and shame and get away with it. And worst case scenario is my life falls apart. Don't do that anymore. We've got a great pastoral staff. You've got life group leaders, you've got your serve team leaders, you've got people in your life that you can go to and say, look, I, I need to talk to somebody because I 
want to be free. I want to be healed. I want to remove the landmine. So here's the deal. What I really want to talk to you about today, though, is the best option. Okay, look, landmine explosion. We got three options. Landmine explosion is option number one. Not the best way to go. You want to stick around and wait on that? Not the best way to go, just so you know. Step two, way, way better, landmine removal. We're going to go, we're going to confess, we're going to get it out of our lives, and we're, we're going to begin to live differently. That, that's okay. But let me give you the best way. The best way is landmine prevention. What if we could actually not wake up feeling guilty? What if we could actually make some choices where our future is in front of us and we determine that nothing's going to blow up on us? Anybody wants that? Yeah. All right, so here we go. You, you may say, well, how do we get there? I don't know. Let's think about it. I mean, you know, one of the phrases that tends to come to mind at this point is, you know, if not for the grace of God, there go I. Right? Come on, everybody heard that before, you know? And I'm going to tell you, oh my gosh, if it weren't for the grace of God, when I think about the choices that I've wanted to make at times, when I think about decisions that I thought were good decisions, when I, uh, when I think about directions that I wanted to take for my life, I can absolutely tell you if God did not box me in, close doors, shut things down, you know, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be standing here. I just think God is sitting up in heaven going, Jimmy, if I leave this to you, you are going to royally screw it up, you know, just... And there are times that the grace of God has just kept me right where I needed to be. Come on, I know you guys know what I'm talking about. That's, that's word like, yeah. But there's got to be more than that. Because then that means that there's more grace for you than there is for that person that didn't quite figure that out. There's something involved for you and me. That's the grace of God, and we can't do without it. I don't mean to make light of that, but there's still a part that you and I have to bring to the table. What's funny is, wait and see what Jesus said next. You see, as he had just been rebuking the religious leaders, and he turns to his disciples, what our Luke chapter 12 actually is, is a series of one-offs. Jesus just begins just one-line statement, sometimes two lines, just making a point. Hey, here's a piece of advice for you. Hey, here's another piece of advice. Here's another piece of advice. And look what he said right after he said, look, nothing hidden will stay hidden. He tells them this. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. My grandfather, I, I've never really talked much about my grandfather, and funny enough, last week I told you about his chair. So if you were here last week, I, I told you about this very uncomfortable right angle, like, like 90 degrees, like, you know, there is no contour, there is no back support, you know, and it was green vinyl, and the arms were flat pieces of wood. I mean, there was no contour there, no cloth, no cushion, just, just, just wood. It was a very square chair that perfectly fit the man. And I don't understand why he would always sit in that, but I tell you what, whenever I saw my grandfather, that's where he was. And he was a very stern man. He was a man who had a very hard life, grew up, I mean, life was hard for him. And, and uh, I'm sure he was a sweet man, maybe. I don't know. I mean, my aunts and uncles tell me stories of, oh, I'd have never done that. My daddy would have killed me. You know, they, every story they talk about is what they did or didn't get caught by daddy doing. So, I mean, there, there were some stories there, obviously. And whenever I would, would see him, 
I, I wouldn't really want to be around him because he was very stern, he was very strict, and he, he didn't like any childishness or foolishness, which was our definition as kids of just playing. And, and so there would be, you know, y'all better stop that, you know, that kind of thing, and, and, and yell or whatever. So as soon as we would get to my grandmother's house, uh, we would just go outside and play. <laughs> the safest place to be is in the yard, and granddaddy's in his chair, you know, that kind of thing. And my grandfather died when I was 15. Now, because this was my mom's dad and lived just a little over an hour away from home, we didn't see him, like, every day. So the routine for my family, like clockwork, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I don't think we missed this more than once or twice in all my years growing up, but like clockwork, was to come home from church, eat fried chicken, and then go to grandma's house every other Sunday. Every other Sunday. That was just the deal. Because my mom had to move away from her family, live with my dad. That was just, I guess, the peace in the marriage. Well, I'm going to see mama every other Sunday. (laughs) So we'd eat fried chicken and we'd go see granddaddy every other Sunday. Walk in the door and I would stay away from him. Because I didn't want to endure the wrath of my granddad. I I had seen him yell at my cousins who were there a little more frequently and whatever. I didn't want any part of that. He died when I was 15. I had seen him... promise you virtually every other week for 15 years plus thanksgiving christmas and easter and mother's day not gonna miss one i don't know that man i don't know what his voice sounds like outside of no better stop that that's literally the only thing i ever heard i was afraid of him and i think for many of you that's your picture of god He's sitting up on his big upright, very square throne in heaven. Lightning bolts in his hand. And you know he's not a fan of your foolishness. And he is just ready. And maybe you fear God. But it's not the right kind of fear. Because the right kind of fear understands that we are his children. And there's, there's something that goes with understanding he's holy. He's the God of the universe. He knows what's right. And I know my place. I'm not God. Sometimes there are things that are not my choice to make. It's not my decision to make. So look, the grace of God, absolutely, we've got to have it. The fear of God, Jesus said, yeah, we need the fear of God. But what happens if we stop right there? We have the fear of God, and then we're... Put the brakes on, I'm good. I'm going to go through life trying to be good with just the fear of God and the grace of God. You end up becoming a pretty legalistic person. And you try really, really hard to be good. And despite how good you end up becoming, you still don't feel good enough. All right, y'all just self-identified. Y'all know right now, it's, you're going, oh, he just called me out. And that's exactly where we end up. Let me tell you what, there is a better way. There is one more ingredient. We do need the grace of God. We better have the fear of God because he's God, we're not. But if we could just put this in the picture, 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God. Come on, y'all. How about the love of God? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Look, I was sad when my grandfather died. He's family. He was my grandfather. I loved him. But I also loved my wife and his wife. And I love my kids. And that's way different. You see, if my grandfather said, don't run in the house, then I wouldn't run in the house because I was afraid of him. 
If my wife says don't run in the house, then I don't run in the house because I love her. I'm not afraid of her. I mean, she's got two inches on me, but I'm not afraid of her. I've won every tickle word to date. I mean, I got it. And the one time she tried to run from me, she ran into a door and broke a toe. I, I can win the race. I can win the tickle. I'm not afraid of her. I probably should be because she's East European and who knows what those people put in their food sometimes, you know. Now see, when my version of fear was just don't get your granddad mad, it's very different from when I sit across the table on a date with my wife and I look in her eyes and I want nothing to be in the way. You see, I want to be known, I want to be loved, and that's not real if the person she's looking at is different from who I really am. I'm not afraid of her, I love her. And my kids, they love me and they respect me and I want them to be able to continue to do that. Matter of fact, one of my sons, <laughs> a little issue we got going on there, you know, if you try to tell him he can't do something around there, he correctly, quickly tells you that his dad owns this place, so he will do what he wants. We've had to correct him. Don't worry, y'all. We've straightened him out. But it's the idea that when my kids look at me, they look at me with admiration. And I'm able to provide for them and take care of them and the thought of blowing up their world. I'm not afraid of them. Not a one of them can hurt me. I love them. And I love God. See, a lot of us read that. For this is the love of God that we obey his commandments. We read that, for this is the proof of your love of God that you will be good. It's not what it, you know, it's that God first loved us so we could love him. It's, it's because God loves us, our love for God is that we do what brings a smile to his face. I do what brings a smile to my wife's face because of my love for her. I do what brings a smile to my children's face because of my love for them. I don't want to defame the glory of the name of their father. I don't want them to hang their head when they think of their father. And I don't want to have to hang my head when I think of what I've done to my father in heaven. It's all based out of love. And that's why as the rest of that verse says, and his commands are not burdensome. It is not hard to do what puts a smile on my wife's face. It is not hard to hug my children and tell them I love them. You see, there are all kinds of opportunities that would come into any one of our lives. And I make moral and ethical decisions primarily. The first thing that comes to mind is love. I have to be honest. I, I, I fear of God in the right way, and I know that after standing up here, that I be, better be very careful about choices I make. I mean, that's there. But I'm more in love with God than I'm afraid of His wrath. My hope for you, statistically, if there's more than one of you in the room, there are landmines in this room right now. There are landmines. There are people who wake up every day feeling the guilt, feeling the fear, afraid if today's the last day that you'll get away with it. 
worried about somebody at work running a finance report over your department and finding you're worried about someone actually getting access to your phone I, I don't mean this in any way other than as much absolute humility as I can but I wake up every day free and that's what I want for you now don't misunderstand when I was in college and in high school I, I had landlines and then they continued to cause problems in my life and in my soul and then I had to go through a process of landmine removal and I want to tell you how good it feels to wake up every day and to know you can look at any of my devices. I don't have to worry about you opening my closet, my office door at the wrong time. Or my closet door. Don't worry about that. Matter of fact, think about this. Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament, he said something kind of strange. Actually, he said a lot of strange stuff, just for the record. But he said one, like he said, look, imitate me. Wait a minute, Paul, shouldn't you be saying imitate Jesus? Isn't that the whole point? No, no, no. He said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Wow, are you kidding me? I mean, come on. How many of us would want someone to come and live in our house for a month, hear every word that we say to our spouse, hear every word that we say to our kids, watch everything that we watch on TV, sit beside us when we pull out our laptops? How many of us look at us when we do our, our social media and, and when they watch what we click on, which ads we want to see and which ads we, you know, who would want that? Where are the hands? Well, how many of you, you'd at least like to get there? Come on, who would like that to be your goal? You'd like to have a life where somebody can see every minute of every day and hear every word and you have no fear. Because that's freedom. That's freedom. When you can, when you can wake up and, and just say, this is me. And you can follow it and you're going to get closer to Jesus and dark chocolate. Follow me. We're going to heaven and we're eating lots of dark chocolate. That's the way we do it. Come on. It's my prayer for you is that you will feel the freedom that God wants for you. As we do this series, we're going to help you get rid of the things that will blow up your life, sink your future, stand in the way, or kill you from the inside out. Hope you're excited about the next four weeks. I want to close by praying for you right now. I want to remind you, we have people, we have pastors, you have life group leaders, you have serve team leaders, you have other Christians in your life. Let's deal with the landmine. Let's deal with the landmines. Let's, let's do some removal. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you are such a good God. You are a good God. You are an amazing God. We, we don't deserve to be in your presence, even by our, our fallen human nature, and yet, when we have things in our lives that we struggle with and they stay there and they're hidden, you are very patient with us. You are very loving toward us. And God, my prayer right now for every person in this room is that you will strengthen and give courage to anyone who needs to expose and remove a landmine before it blows up their life. God, I pray that you will give grace to the people that they need to talk to. And I pray that everyone will have a heart towards restoration and wholeness. 
If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Maybe it's because you, you thought, well, if I go to church, I'll go to heaven, or if I go to church, isn't everything taken care of? Or maybe you didn't want to make Jesus your king because you weren't sure about following him and as if this is even something you wanted to do. Well, the truth you need to know is that the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life is a free gift from God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But every one of us does have to reach out and take that gift. At some point, the corridors of time have to press down. You have to look at Jesus on the cross and say, thank you for dying for me. I choose to live for you. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. Right where you're seated, you don't have to stand up or come down front. Would everybody just pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you would fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.